Welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad to have you join us today. We're currently exploring a sermon series we're calling From Death to Life, where we explore the last week of Jesus and the events leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. We hope that you'll enjoy this message. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment to help this make this resource more readily available to those you love. Thank you, and have a great day. God bless. I want to read for you really quick uh, from one of my favorite places of, of prayer uh, as an inspiration for prayer. It's called the Valley of Vision, and this is a Puritan prayer guide. They're all anonymously written, right? And they're all very instructive uh, in a place to get our hearts to a place of submission and our hearts to a place of obedience to God and meditation in the Word. Uh, and if you have one of the, the cheat sheets, I call them the cheat sheets, uh, for the sermon notes for today, you will find, if you want to follow along, this, this, uh, this poem or this prayer uh, is on the back of it. And it is called Love Lusters at Calvary. And like I said, it's, it is one of my favorites of my favorite book of prayers. And it's something that in my early days of preaching, I would go to this thing, and I think Jessica can convert, but I would go to this thing regularly. And, and this is how I would prepare my heart to go and, and do the will of God. And I think it would be very fitting for us this morning uh, as a family to really reflect on this as we prepare our hearts, right, for how can we be obedient to God. Uh, and it's, again, it's entitled Love Lusters at Calvary. And it says, My Father, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, and supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. There grace removes my burden and heaps them on thy son, made a transgressor, a curse, and a sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man thy fellow. There thy infinite attributes were magnified, and infinite atonement was made. There infinite punishment was due, and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. And surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. A thirst that I might drink. Tormented that I might be comforted. Made a shame that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. Groaned that I might have endless song. Endured all pain that I might have unfading health. Bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might uplift mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might forever live. O Father, 
who spared not thine only Son, that thou might spare me. All this transfer thy love designed and accomplished, help me to adore thee by lips and life. Oh, that thy every breath might be ecstatic praise. My every step buoyant with delight, as I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood, hell's gates closed, heaven's portal open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just pray that this morning, Lord, we would be receptive of Your Word, that we would be receptive of the message, not only of the cross, but of the empty tomb, God. I just pray that this morning we not take for granted, God, the sacrifice of Your Son Jesus on that cross. The glory of Your Son Jesus to rise from the dead in that grave, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that this morning, God, that we be holy and centrally focused on Jesus. In Your holy, glorious name we pray. Amen. So I want to read for us really quick uh, from the book of Luke. We're going to spend most of our time this morning uh, really studying uh, the, the Apostle John. But I want to read for us really quick uh, this quick account uh, from the book of Luke. It's going to be found, if you want to flip there, uh, in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and we're going to look at verses 44 through 49. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three. Because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had happened, he began to glorify God. That's right, the same centurion who had just forced Jesus on the cross. One of the same centurions or soldiers who had forced Jesus into a martyr's death, is now, in this moment, the second member of salvation. The first would, of course, be the repentant thief on the cross. And now we have this centurion who sees the gospel message of Jesus played out in full. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus played out in full. And when the centurion saw what had happened... He began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chest. But all who knew him, including the women who followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is again the account of Luke, which would be uh, multiple first-hand accounts that Luke had put together uh, as a narrative story right, of, of, of Jesus in those final days uh, of Jesus. We know the most, of course, 
uh, in regards to Jesus, we know the most about Jesus in this final week of his life. The Gospel of John reserves about a third of the Gospel to tell this final week, this final account of Jesus. Historical evidence, you say. From its time of writing, there are less than a handful of copies of the Iliad, Homer, right? And yet there are a mountain of accounts, a mountain of testimonials, right, that became scripture of this final week of Jesus. The world will inevitably try and find every excuse to not bow the knee to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I took us here to the the Gospel of Luke to really focus on this verse 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three. Why? Because the sun's light had failed. Why don't we start there, you say? Because every single person in this room, if there's one thing that we can all share, a common shared experience, it is this feeling of darkness. One of the few fears that a child will instinctively have, it's not something that's taught. Why? Because darkness is the absence of light. God is, in and of Himself, light. And in this moment, on a Friday afternoon, we see from noon to three, so for these three hours, the world is in total darkness. And I I have a feeling, without taking a poll, that everyone in this room can say that at some point in your life, you have experienced what you feel was total darkness. And in this moment, see what you have to understand from a historical standpoint, Jesus wasn't the first to come and proclaim to be Messiah. The historian Josephus depicts many accounts of different uh, men who would come and say that we are the disciple, you know, we are the Messiah, we are the Holy One. And every one of those claims was proven to be, of course, inaccurate. Why? Because Jesus is the one true hope. And in this moment of darkness, remember these same disciples had asked Jesus, you're the king, we know that you're the Messiah, when are we going to overthrow this Roman oppression? And Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, has to tell them, like, it, it, it's happening right now, but not in the way that you think. The Sermon on the Mount tells of a pacifist account of how to be countercultural. That while the world wants violence to ravage itself, Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace. And here in the Gospel account of Luke, we see that total darkness overtakes the world. And in this moment, the veil of the temple, what you have to understand, this veil separates the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, 
The place that only the most high priest could go and pray directly to God. And in this moment, Jesus had, had told uh, everyone that I will tear down this temple, right? And in three days I will rebuild it. And they're thinking in, in mine and your terms of, Jesus, you don't look like a guy who can operate a bulldozer. And as a matter of fact, they're about mm, 1,950 years away from being created. What is this you speak? And what Jesus was saying was, the entire system that you have depicted for yourselves will be overthrown. There will be upheaval. Jesus was, is, and will forever be the most countercultural figure to ever come. So much so that the women are those that see predominantly this experience of the cross and the crucifixion. You say, why does that matter? Because in that time, women were not allowed to be witnesses. Their account was insignificant. And I don't think it's any secret why Mary, the Marys and Salome, in this moment where they come to the empty tomb, they don't go any further. They find it empty. And they don't go in and explore. They go back and they find Peter and John. And John is very clear to us that he was the faster of the two. Right? It's like a humble brag here by John. And... The women are the first to experience the risen king, and they bring the men. And we, we you know, we, we say, well, what does this mean? It's the exact way Jesus has done his entire ministry. It's the exact reason that when Mary comes to anoint Jesus' feet, he rebukes the men and says, You guys are mad, and she gets it. You refuse to wash my feet, and yet she anoints me with her, with her oil and with her hair. Because Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus will always be countercultural. The expectations that we set as humanity are set in flesh. And Jesus comes to rewrite that with His blood. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we make the decision to turn our back from God. And God from that moment forward constantly seeks us. God from that moment forward tries to make a way for us to be made right with Him. And it's us if you follow the account of, of Israel, if you follow the Hebrew account from the Old Testament, it's us who constantly turn our back from God. And yet no matter how far that we run... He's always one step behind us, awaiting our return. It's why the prodigal story is so significant to me. Because I'm someone, and maybe you are someone, that has lived that experience. That God saves us by His redeeming grace, and we run away from Him. And yet, as far as we run, as fast as we run, He's always one step behind us. Whispering silent still. And from that moment, from the attempts of covenant relationship once again with us, 
Jesus comes to be the final sacrifice. Wednesday night I got to teach a little bit about this word propitiation. Right? Only a few translations use it. Why? Because when's the last time you heard it in your day-to-day conversation? And propitiation is this idea of grace and mercy and justice all occurring through one person and that is Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is this. The hopeless become the hopeful. The message of the resurrection is this. Those that thought to themselves, how could one love me? Are anointed by His love. Are anointed by His grace. Are anointed by His mercy. And are given the propitiation through Jesus for our sins. The grave is empty, ladies and gentlemen. The grave is empty, family. Why? Because as the song we last sang before we came together said, He is risen. And I I told you we came to Luke there for a reason. That I wanted everyone to feel together, right? To recount that feeling of darkness, of hopelessness. Because that is exactly what the disciples felt on that Friday. And on that Saturday, the Sabbath rest, we have little to no historic evidence of what happened. Why? Because they are awestruck. And the question that I, that I task you with today is have you been awestruck By the love, the sacrifice, and the mercy of Jesus. I pray that in your life, you experience that silent Saturday. Why? Because the world tells you that that's hopelessness. But through the sacrifice of Jesus, you know that that is hope. That is hopefulness. That our life is brought to completion by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. David says in the Psalms, Psalm 18, uh, verse 27 and 28, For you rescue an oppressed people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. In other words, the people that are truly oppressed, You rescue. But those who think they know best will one day learn. As he says in the book of Revelation that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. Why does this matter, you say? As we, we heard from the, the kids on the front steps this morning in the book of Isaiah, if you really want to go have your heart broken today, I'm not even going to task you with going to watch The Passion. I, I just task you with going to read in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says, After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. The tomb is closed in darkness. Family, 
And the world tells you that there was hope running away. But I'm here to tell you that's not true. That was hope being brought to new life. We flowered the cross this morning and saw the the beauty of new life. By His knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And He will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give Him the many as a portion, and He will receive the mighty as a spoil, because He willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. We see it play out on the cross. There's one on either side. And one receives new life. And why? Because the man in the middle said, I could come. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. We see again in Luke that the darkness has won. Or so sin will tell you. Or so the enemy will tell you. Darkness has won. Now darkness comes over so that we can have new light. A light that can't be extinguished. That three hours was the last time that darkness actually plagued this earth. That three hours was the time that our Savior prepared us to be brought with Him. And in that three days in that tomb, He prepared a place for you and I. John 14, 1-4 Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. This is the words of Jesus. In My Father's house you will have many rooms. Or to say many mansions in some translations. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself. So that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. But in that moment, they didn't. But the answer was in front of them the whole time. Jesus is the answer to his own question. Jesus is the answer to all of life's greatest questions. In our moments of deepest darkness, in our moments of deepest doubt, Jesus is the answer and He is a new hope. John chapter 20, uh, verse 3 picks up and it says, At that, Peter and the other disciple, which is John, went out, heading for the tomb, and the two were running together. Alright guys, what you got to understand about John is he doesn't speak of himself in the first person and he also likes to brag. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. John's saying, you know, we did run and I did win. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Remember darkness, guys. Silent Saturday, guys. 
our lives, family. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. Very, very important. Just completely formative to the gospel message of Jesus. You can't miss verse 7. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. Jewish tradition, non-Messianic Jewish tradition, says that grave robbers, right? Of course, grave robbers stole it. Has anybody ever broken in your house, washed your dishes, and folded your clothes? No, because that's not how robbers work. What you have to understand is this linen cloth being folded was a way of Jesus who's saying, I came here as a servant to teach you how to serve so that you can one day meet the Master. This is Jesus announcing His new position as the Lord and Savior of the earth. See, this linen cloth would be a Master's way of telling His servant at a dinner table, I'm not finished yet. I may have went out of the room, but if I folded my cloth, it means I'm not finished yet. And in this verse, Jesus says, I am not finished with you yet. Though darkness has overcome, and though darkness feels as it has won the victory, not yet. Because I am not finished with you. It's why in the moment on the cross when he says teleo, and he says tetelestai, which means it is finished, it is an incomplete verb, meaning that it's still open-ended. In that moment, as Jesus likes to say, the hour has come, the cup has come to pass, he says in this moment, this battle may be over, but the victory is yet to come. And this verse 7 is the deciding blow that Jesus announced His new position as the Savior of the world. Oh sin, where is your sting? Verse 8, the other disciple who reached the tomb first Then also went in and saw and believed. Jesus has been telling these guys for years, they're going to kill me. I'm going to rise again in three days. Hey guys, just so you know, just so you get this, they are going to kill me and I'm going to come back in three days. And he says to them again, don't be defeated I'm going to die in this flesh and bone, but I will be the one who doesn't die. I will be the eternal one who lives forever. Just hold on. And yet they doubted. Why? Because darkness will lie to you. Satan has no power over you guys. He has no power over you, family. 
His main goal, his main sense of power is to lie to you and twist the truth that you know to be Jesus Christ, Him crucified and rise again on the third day. Verse 9, For they did not yet understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. No matter how many times He told them, no matter how many miracles they saw Him perform, their eyes were not open to the message of Jesus until they saw it play out in front of them. The difference is, family, you don't have that same liberty. When Jesus comes to this earth again, it's too late. There is an urgency to you professing Him as Lord and Savior of the world. I don't know if you guys have you know, lived life recently, but darkness surrounds us. Strife, division, and turmoil are our everyday existence. And it is easy to feel defeated until you remember that you are not of this earth. You are not of this world. You were made for the new heavens and the new earth as you receive new life with Jesus. I know you guys probably get tired of hearing it, but this earth that we live on, this existence that you and I are in right now, is the closest to heaven that some will ever see. And for the blessed, the blessed and fortunate ones, this is as close to hell as we ever have to taste. Oh, death, where is your sting? And the, in this moment, again, you know, the disciples see it play out. So now it's reality to them because they've seen it with their own eyes. You know, they'll they'll later they'll later put a lot of blame. On Thomas, as Thomas says, I have to see it with my own eyes. You know, the way that they have seen it with their own eyes. And a lot of blame has shifted to Thomas for his doubt. But the difference is, Thomas had the same opportunity that they had. They just had it first. But again, ladies and gentlemen, family, you don't have that same Grace, and you don't have that same time frame to wait until you see him again and say, He really was who he says he was at that point in time. It is too late. In this moment when death felt like it had won, I'm sure the disciples look back and remember from John, we know from John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Could you think? Could you imagine? Could you feel what it would, what it would really feel like to be those disciples in that moment? when they feel that death has won, the darkness has overtaken 
And the difference is for many of us in this room, we know what that felt like. Right? We know what the signs felt like all along that pointed us to the way that says Jesus is the King of the world. And we remember what that initial feeling felt like. I pray, my prayer is today if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you not leave this place. Right? You not wait till tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. It doesn't matter how young you are or how experienced you are. Death does not discriminate. I'm going to close us real quick. We're going to look at 1 John. Right? John has seen this play out and he saw it with his own eyes. And he was blessed and he was fortunate right, to be able to, to experience this resurrection power. And if you were here on Wednesday night, you got to, 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 to witness the secret sauce. The secret sauce, right? And the secret sauce is that I'm sure for the past four weeks, you have heard this word gospel. And maybe your whole life you've heard this word gospel. But when the rubber meets the road and someone asks you, what, what's the gospel? And you say, thumbs up. Jesus, yeah. Whew. We want you to be able to defend your faith. We want you to be able to explain what the gospel is according to the person sitting in your seat right now. So real quick, we're going to look at the gospel or the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ according to the Apostle John. 1 John 1, 5-10. And it says, this is the message. You guys, guess what that word is? The gospel, the good news, the euangelion. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. Remember the darkness that had overcame the world? Remember the feeling of doubt that had overcome the world? And yet Jesus had told us in, in pure words that He was the light of the world. In the most simplest form, Jesus had told us that He was the light of the world. We see the psalmist tells us that He is the light of the world. We see that Isaiah prophesies that He is the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5-10, For this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, if we eliminate the pride in our heart that says, you know, I think, I think I'm alright. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. 
If we can eliminate that pride and have the realization in the message of Jesus that only He is good, that only He is the light of the world, then we can be brought to new life with Jesus Christ. Verse 10, For if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. He's very clear here. So in the, in, in the most just simple form here, almost in a, in, a, in a working from the bottom up formula, John explains to us how to have salvation. And if you, if you read it too quick or you, or you go through it, uh, just going through the motions, you miss it. But he says in, in verse 10, number one, that we must confess our sins. He says in verse 7, Step number two, that we must allow His cleansing blood to wash over us. In other words, we have to call Him into our lives, call Him into our hearts, and allow His purification right, to purify us, to make us holy. Step three, we must walk in the light. You say, what does that mean? See, that's the part that a lot of people don't understand. They say, well, where does the repent part come in every single day for the rest of your life? We must walk in the light. In other words, we must live a life of repentance. It's simple, guys. Confess. Believe, not with your mouth solely, but in your heart. Walk in the light. Live a life of repentance. Notice that it doesn't say live a life of perfection. To realize that we are imperfect and that we serve a perfect King, a risen Savior. And if you do that, if you have followed those three basic steps, we must be a light for others to see Christ. As he says in John chapter 5, that you are the light of the world. City on a hill. That is our life's call, ladies and gentlemen. That is our life's call, family. That after we receive Jesus into our hearts, we be a light that others may receive the same. Now I would be remiss as a pastor if I didn't conclude you this way. If you have followed those steps, right, if you are walking the life of repentance every day, and if you are truly living to be a light, then I have a command, I have a call for you, straight from the mouth of Jesus. If you have not committed one of these steps, right, to be made right with Him, then don't leave today in doubt. Don't leave today wondering. Nail it down. But if you have committed this perfection of Jesus into your heart, into your life, and allowed Him to be the propitiation for your sins, then Jesus gives us a very strict and clear call on our lives. Matthew 28, 19-20 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end 
of the age. I'm going to bring Buddy up real quick. We've got one, one last hymn, ladies and gentlemen. We have one last song together. And again, don't, don't leave this place and wonder. Nail it down. Don't leave this place and think to yourself, I wonder if I died right now, would I go to heaven? Don't leave it, don't leave it to wonder. Don't leave it to doubt. Nail it down. I'm going to pray for us real quick and then Buddy's going to lead us in this last invitational hymn. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that our lives have new purpose. That our lives have new, new reasoning, God, when we give all that we are to all that is You, God. We just pray that today, if there's anyone in this place, Lord, who may be in that moment of darkness, God, that today they walk out in glorious light. We just pray that you would just work in the hearts of all your people, Lord. If there's anyone here in this place today who may be backslidden, God, is not where they want to be in their life and in their call to you, God, that they not leave this place wondering, what do I do next? Just pray that you'll use each and every single person and you'll appeal to every heart during this invitation, oh Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.